1: Matthew Paul Lissy, how the hell are you, man?
2: Johnny, what's up? <laughs> how are you? I'm doing
1: good. I'm I'm doing well as well, my friend. It's uh, what, what was it? Tuesday night now? Jeez, the Tuesday,
2: oh.
1: yeah. And I hate to be
2: that guy, but I keep forgetting what day it is. <laughs>
1: Well, it's funny because the majority of Suns fans right now, like, forget what day it is. I had so many people yesterday be like, dude, Suns are going to win tomorrow. They're going to win. I'm like, I guarantee you one thing, they will not win tomorrow. And, you know, this is like three or four people I had this conversation with. I'm like, I guarantee you they won't win tomorrow. like, what do you mean, man? Like, you have faith in this team. The Suns got this. You know, Suns in five now. Suns in five. I'm like, I know. They just they're not going to win tomorrow and guess yeah. and and people are like, what do you mean? And, I'm like, and again, this is Monday. We're having this conversation, but like, cause they don't play until Wednesday, bro. They're like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, you know, this NBA finals has been kind of a weird scheduling, uh, conundrum considering how the rest of this playoffs went where the games were every other night. And it was just like, there was this natural rhythm. It's like, okay, there's a game, there's a day to kind of talk about it. And then boom, you were right back in, in another game and now we're at this point where it's a, it's a game, there's an absorbing day, there's a rebuilding of confidence day, and then there's another day. So I know on the last podcast you mentioned you like this extra break, right? You know what? For the players, I do.
2: For excuses, uh, for players to actually heal up, um, even if it is Giannis, uh, it's nice for them. Uh, for me, it's like you have to find other things to do, of course. Uh, they, they did have baseball the last two nights. So I don't know if you got to enjoy that, but uh, it, it's been tough with no Suns because it seems like a week in between, even though it is the two days. And I feel like any time we don't do a podcast within a day, it seems like a week, you know? Because we've done every game this this year, and every every game is basically separated during the season by one day, so it just seems like it drags on, man. Not, and especially when it's the finals, like you just you're you're sick of hearing everything. You have no idea really why Booker and Aiden you know, didn't really play the fourth quarter. Of course, it was a big lead, but you just you're trying to forget about those things, and then you know just turn on the telly when you come home tomorrow, and just begin watching the first quarter to it, it, see it's, it's tip off. It just it takes a long time, and it's makes me very anxious.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, uh, you know, this is episode 210, and we started this season, gosh, like just right around 100. So I mean, we put together a lot of episodes. This year, considering the fact that we go live after every game on YouTube and then we release the audio on the Bright Side of the Sun podcast network and we're doing all star game stuff and we're doing draft stuff and we're doing all these different things. So you're right. We're always having basketball conversations. So when there's like this gap since the last time we've had a basketball conversation, it creates and generates A sense of anxiety in myself as well, because I'm like, oh, my gosh, like there's got to be something new to talk about. And there's a bunch of little new things to talk about, like Kawhi had surgery on a torn ACL, like no shit, you know, and there's all those little kind of things. But again, we're in the middle of the NBA finals and this is the natural flow of things. This is how the finals always are. And the playoffs generally always are. They're a prolonged process that goes on for two and a half months and we're at the back end of it. We're engaged because it's our team that's finally in there. And I can only imagine what the what the players are going through and how, you know, they have to deal with all of that that media pressure. After every practice, they have a media session. And in those media sessions, they're getting asked a lot of the same questions. And although I didn't enjoy very much uh, baseball over these past couple days, uh, the one thing I did enjoy was the fact that in some of the media sessions, like, did you see Monty Williams answering questions about? his comments after game three.
2: You know, I was actually driving on my lunch, so I got to listen to probably about five minutes of the interview. Uh, But not the whole thing. Why? What did he say?
1: I just, it was interesting how somebody asked him. It's like, you know, well, you said you weren't going to talk about the referees and then you talked about the referees and Monty was just like, okay, is this like a setup or something like, like, Oh, that's the
2: part I did here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, where yeah. where it's like you can tell he's – he is becoming irritable. Uh, a lot of – and this was the same thing on the Bucks side after a couple, after game two. It's like they're a little bit more irritable with some of the questions because they're hearing them those all the time. And I love Monty's response. He's like, well, I stated the fact that one of their players, Giannis, had 17 free throws and that our team had 16. He goes, that wasn't complaining. That was a fact. And he kind of left it at that, and I was just like – you know, you can see that that's the added pressure that all all, all parties involved, all players, all coaches uh, are all dealing with. It's the, you know, they're already over analyzing the game just as we are as fans. Uh, but they have to obviously execute the, those adjustments that they see. But they're also getting asked about it constantly and consistently. And it's, you know, it's, it's again, that's why when you win an NBA championship, I don't care what your road was to get there. It is hard. It's hard to win in the NBA, period. And then you add all this external pressure on this team and these two organizations. And, yeah, you win the chip. You earned it.
2: Yeah, I mean, mentally, too, especially when you have your three stars on the team that really just could not produce last game. I mean, the stats were okay for Chris Paul. Aiden had a solid game, but, of course, didn't even get 30 minutes. But it's just things like that. For those guys to sit here or sit there in Milwaukee – to just think about that, but then you know they're not. You know they're they're focused on the next game. As soon as they go into the locker room after the the sound of the final horn last game, I'm sure they were just locked in. And that's what you always hear with this team. It's like after a loss and it's usually game three, how are they gonna come back? And how are they actually going to make the adjustments? And you you always hear that they're in that locker room and the mood isn't ever really down. It's always guys picking each other up. Uh as soon as they get back to the hotel or whatever they're ready to go they're ready to watch film uh certainly chris paul right that's his thing like he he's probably he was probably watching film on his phone on the way back to the locker room but he <laughs> honestly the last game was just like a blur and chris paul even talked about it too and when you go into that game with the with that crowd and then there's the dunks by Giannis. i mean cam Johnson is the best dunk of the night there's the dunks there's the three-pointers going down it's hard to overcome that and I think it just really hit the suns in the face, and it was really hard to come back. And I think that's the reason Monta didn't play those guys in the fourth. He just knew it wasn't there. And for him to keep answering questions like a Super Bowl weekend like every day with the media, it's hard on them, man. And like you said, it doesn't matter the road to get there because it's impossible mentally for a lot of people on earth to go through the situation and to go out to perform like they do every game, and they always come back, right? And that's the one thing you can trust in this team, that they're going to come back, they'll have a game plan, they'll adjust, and whether or not the the Milwaukee Bucks can hang with the adjustments, it's up to Milwaukee, really, because I know those ones will come through and make the changes that they need to make.
1: Yeah, and it's just a matter if they can execute those changes consistently enough uh, in an, an effort to provide a victory for the team, because you can have the adjustments all day long, but if you don't execute them, Uh, You know, for example, if if they find a space on the floor where they can get Devin Booker good looks and he's just not knocking down the shots, well, guess what? You don't win those games. You know, but I was thinking about it, and you you heard this term a lot this uh, this postseason, considering the fact that the Suns won all four of their game ones. It seems like every time the Suns won a game one, the opposition would say, well, oh, well, that was a feel-out game. That was a feel-out game for LeBron and, and AD. That was a feel-out game for the Clippers and the Nuggets. That was a feel-out game for Giannis and, and Milwaukee. And I kind of feel like that's almost been the same kind of approach, if you will, if that is truly the case. I don't think there's really anything. Do you think that there's a, a feel-out game mentality from anybody? Or do you just think the games kind of come out the way they are?
2: Uh, well, for in this series, I think you had that for Giannis because of his injury, right? You even saw him True. in the game, he didn't look the same. Game two, he looked just dominant, like Giannis in the last game, same exact performance. So I think that's a feel-out for Giannis and the rest of the team because, like we talked about before, they finished the last series, five and six, to beat the Hawks without Giannis. Then you have the adjustment to come back in because the thing is, is, like teams will always do this, any sport. It's like, wow, they're playing this great, but their star's not there yet. Just wait till they come back. And there's always
3: that adjustment.
2: There's always just mm-hmm. something that throws that team off. We did, We had it with Chris Paul. When he came back, uh, the Lakers series he was kind of hurt. But even when he came back, like it was just, it was tough to adjust in certain situations. I know they finished that series in six, but you can just see, like it just takes a while for these guys to get back into it. And you saw it against the uh, Clippers too, when he missed the first two games, and he came back. The adjustments there were very hard to get the group back together once he did come back to the starting lineup.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't until game six where he was kind of uh, back in his, you know, full-on point god mode. But the point I was making there was game three has kind of been the feel-out game, if you will, for the Suns, where they go on the road, they see what it's like on the road, they see what the opposing crowd is, they see how the opposition gets amped up and and what their go-tos are when the crowd is behind them. And then they make those appropriate adjustments in game fours, and we've seen that consistently, whereas leading up to this point, they are – Uh, 3-0 in Game 4. So it's going to be really interesting to see as we head into Game 4 tomorrow how the Suns truly respond. And I was having this conversation with somebody today. If DeAndre Ayton comes out and has a ball game, and I'm not talking about a box score game. I'm talking about a ball game where he's affecting Giannis' shots uh, with shot deterrence, where he is uh, rebounding the ball where he's sprinting up and down the court, where he's doing the things that make DeAndre Ayton an effective player, and he comes out and he has a solid game tomorrow, and the Suns win, and they go up 3-1. to one. I really think that you can start to make a case for DeAndre Ayton for the MVP of this series, because you think about it, you saw how valuable he was in Game 3 when he wasn't present on the court. In that third quarter and going into that fourth quarter, when he was no longer there, they the Milwaukee Bucks really had free reign at the rim. Giannis can really do what he wanted to do, and I think that you know again we're obviously getting ahead of ourselves, but I think that if DeAndre can come out and have one of the solid ball games, not box score games, but ball games, I really think it, it can you know he is the uh, one of the vital cogs in this team that needs to perform well in an effort for them to be successful.
2: Yeah, you're correct. And we talked about this before the playoffs even started with DeAndre Ayton. We were talking about X Factor. So, it's, what's the X Factor for the Suns getting to the playoffs, uh, making a run? It was DeAndre's play because we yep. saw it in, in mid season how good he was. Where we're like, he is, we're not going to make any trades. We added Tory Craig, but it's just, it's absolutely depends on him. And it, it sucks because he is younger. He's the younger out of the three stars. You know, you would want to be more on Booker and Chris Paul. But I trust him the most. And it's definitely very strange. I trust him the most out of the three, Booker, then Chris Paul. I mean, but then to say that, they're so neck-to-neck to where they just take over, like, one quarter. You know, you'll have one of them do whatever they want. And they're like, okay, like, I like this. Like, you know, Chris Paul gets hot. So then you trust them then. But DeAndre Ayton all game long, except for when he came back in the fourth quarter and he was just fumbling the ball because he was out a whole quarter. Like, you can't count on him to come back in and finish off the game. It's not like, you know, uh, uh, Kobe Bryant or some kind of slick shooter like Steph Curry to come back in and hit some threes to get your team back in it. DA needs that rhythm, and he was getting that in that game in the first quarter. If he comes out and he puts up even, like, 20-15 – and that's going to be an amazing game by him. Yeah, he's Mm an MVP candidate leader. Even if if Book goes off for like 25 points, Chris Paul has a solid uh, close to triple-double or something like that, D8 is still the X-factor in this series, and he's the guy, he's the most valuable player. We need him to win. He's going up against the two-time MVP, if he defeats him, he will win the MVP. And that is just crazy to say, right?
1: I know. Isn't it absolutely crazy? And you're right. Before the playoffs started, that was the conversation. It was like, listen, we will go as far as DA will carry us. Because given the size of the Lakers and Nikola Jokic uh, and Evita Zubak and how they can play five out when Zubak wasn't on the court against the Clippers and now Giannis, like, that's a murderer's row of talent that DA's had to face. And he's performed – you know, for the most part, this entire postseason, and that's obviously going to be, I think, where a lot of our eyes are going to be at tomorrow when they tip off against the Milwaukee Bucks. Is how is Da responding? How engaged is he early on? Is the hustle there? Is Giannis doing kind of the bulldozer thing? And what are what are the Suns doing to negate the bulldozing Giannis? And I, I truly believe that we'll just see a lot of Jay Crowder on Giannis early with with DeAndre Ayton taking Lopez and you're going to see a lot of that. You will you'll see some switch defenses and you'll see some collapsing by DA at points. Um, But I really think that that'll be Monty's strategy in an effort to avoid any foul trouble is to keep him a little bit closer to, to Brooke Lopez. So he can still have that shot deterrence, but he's not going to be the, the target and Milwaukee will probably try to create switches and get him on one-on-one and And I'm comfortable with DM one-on-one. It's like you were saying in the podcast, right after the game, it's like, those were some ticky-tacky bullshit fouls on DA. There was one that was, like, valid, but the other two, it's like, if you go back and watch them, it's like, I get it. There was a little bit of contact, and those calls are going to occur sometimes in the NBA, but it's just unfortunate that they had to occur in the NBA finals in those situations.
2: Yeah, especially when he is just so dominant when he's on the floor. It's it's crazy how the refs can just take one guy out of the game, and it's like, okay, well – Defend for yourself, sons. Figure something else out because we took your guy out because he has four fouls now. And then, oh, fifth foul. There it is. Even though the fifth foul was kind of a foul. He put his body into him, and uh, it was a foul. But then, by that yeah. time, Aiden, I think, was frustrated with the foul calls.
1: So we got a question in the chat from Narish. So uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate that. He says, what are the possibilities of attacking the paint and getting Giannis in foul trouble? And I'll, Matthew, I'll, I'll let you give your two cents on that, but I'll give mine real quick. I think one of the things that Milwaukee does a good job of is when they're on defense, you have Giannis on Jay Crowder. So he, Jay Crowder is not an interior player. He's a perimeter player. So he doesn't really spend a lot of time in the paint defensively until our guards slash into the middle. Then he'll do some of that collapsing. And that's where he gets a lot of those block shots. So I think what the opportunity is, is to try to generate some switches. And I mean, if you can get DA and Giannis and he proves that he can be physical enough with Giannis to try to draw some fouls, that'd be fantastic. Because it, it would be nice to see a flipped script from Monty Williams and the Suns where they're attacking Giannis to the point where they're jumping into his body and they're drawing some of those fouls and they're making him th- double, you know, he, he has to think about... You know, he has to make some business decisions, if you will. And maybe he can't be as aggressive defensively. So uh, what do you think about uh, Norisha's question right there, Matthew?
2: It's actually a good question because I was thinking that, you know, Aiton, I was thinking about this today, like things that he needs to improve on going into next season. I know that's so stupid. You know, I would get hated on by saying something like that. But I just, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, just the one thing he, he doesn't know how to do really is draw the foul, right? He he has moves. I'm sure he's worked on them, but using them in the game, they're just not as solid. Of course, they're not Giannis-like, but they're not even close to that. So for him to actually draw fouls against Giannis, it's very difficult because so I don't think mm-hmm. he knows what to do to get that contact. The only guy that really comes to mind that can maybe get him a couple fouls, and we're say like Cameron Johnson, if he comes in the game and he's aggressive again and Giannis is in that, in that paint – I mean, I could see just Cameron Johnson going at it. But the only thing is, Aiton and Cameron Johnson, they don't get the calls. They just don't get the calls against yeah. right, Giannis. So that's the one thing that sucks. It's like one more full season of those two. like really.
1: Oh, like, without a doubt.
2: A foul, then, yeah, that's something that we can do is focus on getting Giannis in foul trouble. Because he had some ticky-tack fouls a little bit towards the end, but it didn't really matter by then. But if yeah. we have those two that know how to draw him, then, yeah, we can talk about it. But right now, it's just that's not the Suns' game.
1: Dude, I'm telling you, I'm getting you like a Cameron Johnson jersey. You love this guy so much. Uh, you are the president CEO of, of the Cameron Johnson fan club, man. <laughs> yeah, man, I love
2: that <laughs>
1: Uh But but you're right, you know. And I think that if we want to get you on some foul trouble, and, and it, it's got to be like via Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's tried it this series, and he hasn't gotten the calls like that one call in game two where it was a foul on Chris Paul where Giannis just mowed him over. Like that's a foul every time on the, on the big guy because Chris Paul had position, he positioned them up and he's tried that a couple times and he's paid for it physically. And that might be one of the reasons why he's a little bit more tentative to do it, but you really have to kind of get crafting the way that you get a couple of those fouls on him in transition. You stop in front of him and he runs you over, you know, things like yeah. that. Like, You know, you have to do those crafty things because that's what he's doing to you is he's being crafty with his physicality uh, around the rim and he's running into your players quite literally in the Jay Crowder situation underneath the rim where he's just linebacking through people. And then he was talking today in his press conference how he's like, well, no, I've been fouled. Look at some of my scrapes. It's like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like Giannis has been fouled and he has earned his trips to the line, but not every one of them. And I think it's one of those things where The Suns should really focus on trying to take him out of his rhythm. I think Jay Crowder is a good guy to do that on defense where it's just physical. And then hopefully uh, Torrey Craig is somebody who's feeling a little bit better now. The injury that happened in game two is now six days ago. Uh, Going into tomorrow, it'll be six days since that injury. So he's really had an opportunity to kind of rest up. And hopefully he has the ability to play more physical and just, just fluster Giannis. And I think that's really you know, it's it's such a tough ask. I was actually watching an HBO documentary uh yesterday and I finished it today on Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Uh and they talked about, you know, his whole life and career and they actually had the video of, of Jerry Colangelo on the phone when he called tails and it was heads, or vice versa, it was heads and he called tails. So the the Bucks ended up with Kareem Abdul Jabbar and we got Neil Walk. Uh, and you were, and watching somebody like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you saw how unbelievably dominant he was. And I was thinking about, you know, what was it like back then when you were going up against him? Like, how did you game plan against that? And part of me kind of feels like that with Giannis right now. Like he's clearly playing at a peak level on the biggest stage and he's embracing it. And he's a guy who you want to root for if he wasn't, uh, on your team, because he has that fire and that passion. But the Suns are tasked with trying to guard him and slow him down. And I think the thing that killed us in this last game is the fact that the guys around him were the ones who killed us. Because, you know what, Giannis had 42 points in game two and they lost by 10 points. So it's definitely plausible for this Phoenix Suns team to go back to really ensure that they're squaring up Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and taking them off of their spots in an effort to negate their offensive production. And if Giannis goes for 40 again, he goes for 40 again. But... You know, let it come in a down 3-1 in a series.
2: Yeah, and he honestly, this season, was just a man forgotten. A lot of play, people just kind of put him on the back burner, you know. It proved to me that you can get to the championship he has. And then when, when you're a Suns fan and you're like, come on, we got to get a stop. Like last game, we got to get a stop, get back in. It's got up to four points, cut that lead to four points. Mm-hmm. But it's like when you're looking at Giannis down there, and you're getting up second chances to him around the rim, which is impossible. I mean, I can't get mad at those guys. That guy is basically just unstoppable to get those offensive boards and put it right back in. And I just he is just an amazing player and I'm not like loving on him. But I mean we've always loved this guy. I mean he's he is great. I don't want him to ever be forgotten and I want him to win a championship, not this year, of course. Not but, this year, no, exactly. Not, not this, this year, but <laughs> The Suns have the tools, man, to slow him down. That's just DeAndre Aiden. So just focus on him, and he's done this right. Aiden has come back game after game after foul trouble games, and he'll come back and just put up like one or two fouls. He he figures he figures out how to do it, and that's a that's a lot of pressure on him to stay out of foul trouble while trying to provide good defense and offense.
1: Yeah, and that's what Monty Williams was saying today. Is like they just got to figure it out. And DeAndre, due to his athleticism, his lateral quickness, his ball control, I'm sorry, his body control, he really is good at avoiding those fouls. So I'm really looking, you know, as that obviously as a key tomorrow. I'm looking at the role players tomorrow. Uh, Again, on the road is where the role players for one team can shine and the opposition typically don't do as well. Because when you have the likes of Jay Crowder or Cameron Payne hitting a three on the road, Versus at home, it's a different energy, and they thrive off of that energy. So I'm looking at Cameron Payne, Cameron Johnson, Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, and if those guys can come together and put together like 50 points, then you really have a good shot of beating this team, and that's what it's going to take. It's Again, you look at the, the last two games, they shot 50% from the field in game two – I'm sorry, from three – and then they shot like 28% the next game. And it's like, you bump that number up to like 30%, 35%. But all of a sudden, we're, we have ourselves a little bit of a ball game. And I just really was interested in some of, the, of Monty's adjustments in that game, how he didn't bring DeAndre back uh, when the Suns knocked it down to four points. When it's 74-70, right there, when they called that timeout, I would have brought D.A. right back. Because like, you knew what they were going to do. And I think there were some really good learning moments for Monty Williams, and he had the flexibility to have those learning moments. He was up 2-0 in the the NBA Finals, and he had a lead. So you can allow him a little bit of leeway to try some different things out, and I think he learned from that. Are there any other things that you think that he learned that he's going to impart upon the Bucs uh, in this game, in Game 4?
2: Yeah, play your starters in the fourth. I want to see that. Because <laughs> be nice. I I just think it was. I still think it's weird. And I know they played like crap, and I keep bringing it back up, but it just bothered me. Like I just, I was like, what is going on? It's just so weird. And I hopefully, doesn't kick him in the butt or this team in the butt this next game, where it's like, well, I mean, the fourth quarter, we didn't even try to come back. Because likewise, I always say, five to six minutes left in the game, anything can happen. Whatever hey, we that's the NBA. Twenty-two points. Anything can happen. And in the finals, it's like to waste a quarter. Well, I still don't know why. So, yeah, just play your starters. And I'm looking at the starters, of course, Chris Paul, because I thought Cameron Johnson had a good game. Of course, Jay did too. And these guys off the bench did a pretty solid job. Uh, Payne was just three for ten, but I just – you can't really expect too much from them. So the starters just need to really get it together, man, and, and put up those stats they put up against, like, the Nuggets <laughs> get through this Milwaukee field which
1: is a lot Uh, of that. I hear you. Well, we're going to bring someone on to the show real quick. Uh, Nikki Tan, Nicholas Tan, how are you doing? Uh, One of our oldest, oldest listeners from once upon a time when we were the Solar Report podcast. Uh, How are you doing today? You can unmute to talk. All right. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. No, you're good. How
3: are you doing, man? Good. good, good. Having lunch. I'm having my lunch. <laughs> uh, uh, having what, lunch ta- what, what time is a it in second Malaysia? Second lunch. Um, 11.
1: 11 a.m. Oh wow! Yeah, you are you yeah. are a true Suns fan because you always are watching the games no matter what time it is in there in Malaysia. Uh, you are always tuned in and supporting the Suns. You are Malaysia's biggest Suns fan. So, how are you feeling about this series and,
3: and what are you looking at in Game Four? Game Four, up question. So I'm thinking. Um, this is the question so book i think i think book has to move the ball more like he has to move the rock a lot more than he does because when he goes cold he has to recognize that he has like role players around him that can actually make shots so i don't i don't i don't particularly like his hero ball i get really irritated when he plays hero ball like that's the that's the part of his game that i don't like hero ball yeah. book yes that's it
1: that's a great observation, and that's you know a challenge. When you see him go three for 14 from the field like he did in game three, a lot of that was on double teams. And he goes into kind of that Booker Ball mentality where it's like him versus the world. He wants the Kobe moment, and he's got fantastic players around him, and he needs to utilize those resources. Right, Matthew?
2: Yeah, in the first quarter when he took it, uh, the, those threes away from DeAndre Aiden where Aiden just you know was sitting there like – You know, he could do whatever he wanted, especially when Giannis was out in the first quarter. Um, That was just an issue. And I think what Book was trying to do was just put them away in a way to where he, you know, like in the Lakers game, uh, game six, where he came out, hit those threes in the first quarter, just kind of really just shut that crowd up, just got got down to business and tried to blow this team out. I think that's what he was trying to do in the first. And I think that just kind of hurt him down the line. And the defense was just so intense around him that I just think this team just – It was just blurred vision the whole game, trying to figure out how to pass the ball around. That was really Booker's story, I think.
1: Yeah, not
3: 100%. I mean, these are game -game, in-game adjustments that he should make himself. Like, if you if you shoot poorly in the first half or the first quarter, probably start the second quarter or second half, move the rock, get the team involved, and probably get a rhythm back by passing passing the ball or, yeah, just moving basically doing anything but shooting. To try to get a sense of rhythm in other areas of the game, because he's more than a yeah. scorer now. He can pass, he can rebound, he can defend. Questionable mm-hmm. defense. Questionable defense. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah,
1: and and again, you know, I think that we don't know what was being said between Monty Williams and Devin Booker kind of the entire fourth quarter uh, when they're sitting there next to each other. But I'm hoping that kind of to your point, Nick, that he that that's what he was saying was like, "Hey, man." Look at what's going on out there. See the defensive pressure that's happening? Like if you move the ball around and you get somebody else open, guess what? The defensive pressure is going to start to come off of you because your teammates are more engaged. And therefore, the defense has to shift to those engaged teammates instead of him constantly doing what he's doing. And maybe you can come on the weak side and get a rebound if they happen to miss. And you get easy points that way. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways that he can score and can affect a game. And you're right, Matthew, it did feel like he was trying to go for the dagger early, especially coming off a solid game three where he was hitting a ton of threes and it just didn't work out. And then ultimately he took himself out of the game because he was too reliant on just his offense. So, uh, But Nick, we really appreciate you always being a supporter of the podcast. Thanks for coming on. It's finally—it's great to finally hear from you instead of just seeing your name in the chat, you know, giving your <laughs> observations. And uh, I love that, you know, you're, you're Mikael Bridges' number one fan. So oh, yeah. keep, su- yeah. keep supporting yeah. him, man. Yep. Awesome. Appreciate right. Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, man. man. Thank no. you. And then we've got a question in the chat from Matt Maravich. He says, are you guys confident we're winning the championship? To me, the Suns are the best team in the NBA, period. Matthew, would you like to take that one? Uh, yeah, I
2: agree. I think the Suns are the best team. Uh, but if if they win, it doesn't matter. They're going to win. And if it takes seven games, they're still going to win. So I think it's funny how us Suns fans are really planning game five. You know, Saturday night, you know, it's <laughs> when it then. Everyone will be downtown, just crazy. And, uh, you know, it might not happen Saturday. It might happen the next two games after that. But it's going to happen. The Suns will win this series. And I just – I've never doubted it. It's tough to go on the pot after a loss, but I really believe in this team to win it.
1: Yeah, and I think you fight so hard for home court advantage all year long. And this is why. So when you're in the NBA Finals, you see how we perform at home. We kick ass. So if this goes to seven games, the Suns are going to win. I absolutely believe that. We have uh, we have Joe from Charlotte who wants to, to chime in. Joe, how you doing this evening, my friend? Are you really from oh. Charlotte? Got to press the unmute button. Yeah, I me mean sorry. Right I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I mean, Are you really from Charlotte? I am. Yeah, I I, I used to call into uh, John Bloom's post game show like religiously back during the Nash era, and then um, uh, not, not not as much during the the bad times, but I still watched. It was just hard to stay up as late as it, it is on the East Coast. Um, I I just wanted to like right now. I'm I'm driving to Milwaukee. To, for game four yes so
3: that drive, right
1: so on, back, yeah, about 558 miles to go um yeah so i, I didn't really have anything to like you guys are, are great in terms of just like what you guys say and talk about it's you're venting for me and i i've always appreciated that um I, yeah, I I guess uh, I heard Eddie Johnson earlier today suggest maybe having Carter come in for Payne if uh, Payne can't figure things out. Uh, any thoughts on that, so Matthew? You want to take that one? Seen Javon Carter, who we haven't oh, seen in a while. Well, we've always
2: wanted Javon Carter to come back. Like anytime he's in the game, there's never been a time even during the season. It's like, oh, Javon's in. Like get him out. Like defensively, he's going to be there. I mean, sometimes he would go through the games and just be kind of cold from three, but. He brings so much, and I just want to see him in a finals game. I want to see how vicious he can get. But Payne, I mean, he's not going to be so consistent like a starter, like Chris Paul, of course. But I love Payne in the game too. But if you bring in Carter, I'm totally down for that.
1: I can't tell you how many articles I've written for brightsideofthesun.com about (laughs) how we need to have Javon Carter in. Like, I feel like after every series, when we have any hiccups, I'm like, just bring in Javon because I'm a huge believer in defensive intensity. He's a guy who shoots the three ball. He's not going to be out there in situations where he's going to be asked to produce uh, or or facilitate the offense. If Javon Carter's out there, Booker's out there, or Chris Paul's out there. But what you do have is you have somebody who has the capacity to lock down and make the other team work. And you look at how Milwaukee operated – in their space defensively in game four. And that's what they did. They kept trying to, or I'm sorry, in game three, they kept trying to just tire out Chris Paul and tire out Booker and play that constant and consistent defense, throw C4 in there, let him go. Boom. Boom goes the dynamite. You know, I really think that, you know, if that's what Eddie was saying, I support that. I, I I feel like the, the sun's jam session podcast is a pro Javon Carter podcast. We always have it not to take anything away from campaign. But I mean, ever since he sprained his ankle, he hasn't been playing well offensively, and that's where his strength is—is is on the offensive. You know, his ability to be quick and get to the rim, and he just doesn't—he's a step slow, and that step is what makes him effective.
3: Absolutely, cool. man.
1: Bring him in. <laughs> awesome. Well, Joe, we appreciate it. Uh, drive safe. Represent for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, you were calling us in the seven seconds. You were like Flex from Jersey before Flex from Jersey was Flex from Jersey. So. <laughs>
3: Uh, i appreciate you
1: guys thanks for um, having me no we really really appreciate you supporting That's the podcast thing. uh matt has one other question he goes next question what is cam johnson's ceiling man his game is so sexy matthew you know what's fun with these
2: players we have is you really don't know i mean even when you talk about michael bridges you don't know his ceiling cam johnson it's like what these playoffs it's like what the hell is he and where has he been you know what i mean Of course, he Mm -hmm. got hurt with the wrist injury, but I don't know. I have no idea. It's going to be fun to watch him next year so much because he's the guy that we're going to be watching a lot every game.
1: I'll tell you, I'm not going to do the player comparison thing because I just feel like it does an injustice to our expectations or to the player you're comparing him to. Like I was having a conversation with somebody today and they're like, oh, Devin Booker, the next Kobe. And again, this is a casual fan who was upset that we can't say Suns in four anymore. I'm like, no, he's not the next Kobe. He's the first Devin Booker. But I'll tell you what, how I see Cam Johnson. His career, he will always be a valuable player, and he will have a chance, if it isn't with this team, with other teams down the line later in his career, to always have a shot on a playoff team. Like He will be the guy five years from now, if he's not with the Suns, that will be a a trade deadline acquisition that's going to help a team in the playoffs because of the way that he plays. He's a deadly shooter. He's got the physicality to where he can hold his own on defense. And currently, seeing as he's a little bit younger right now, as compared to my future five years in advance uh, prediction, is he's got the foot speed right now. And I think that that's what's really taken a lot of people by surprise, is how quick he is. And you can see him starting to really gain confidence in his decision-making. Like pump fake, go. Instead of pump fake, wait, um, should I, no, pass. It's pump fake and go to the rim. Or ball shoot and the more confidence he gains the more valuable of an asset he's going to be moving forward i just hope it continues to be with the phoenix suns
2: yeah me too and honestly he uh he's a guy too where you can't really game plan for him if you're a defense because you don't know what he's going to bring the next game because he keeps showing new things <laughs> so it's difficult for them uh so that's yeah. what makes it so surprising
1: yeah 100 percent. so again matthew lissy president of the cameron johnson fan club uh, Matthew any final thoughts before we get out of here tonight what is your prediction for game 4 and where you're watching it
2: uh, you know I think they're going to win and even if they don't it'll still be okay because like I said even if it's not in 5 games the Suns will win this series and uh, you can't count out the Bucks. you just can't So, uh, I, I'm going to say Suns win but if they don't then it's fine but uh, <laughs> I, I, have to come, I have to come and write the game so I'll probably oh yeah that's right Sitting behind my desk, writing as I watch.
1: Yeah, I had game
2: three.
1: I had I had game three for Brightside, and one of the things that I did is as I say in the article, I'm like, listen, I'm going to approach this game in the most unbiased way and not talk about the referees because I led with the whole Scott Foster thing, and I go, okay, that's the last I'm talking about the referees, and for the entire remainder of the game, I did not talk about any of the refereeing. Because I feel like the last game that I covered, which was game six, the clincher in the Western Conference Finals, if you go back and you read that, it's just an article of me trashing the refs the entire time and just <laughs> hating, hating on Patrick Beverly. And then just like, good, Patrick Beverly's, you know, we broke him. He's an asshole. And I kind of, yeah. you know, I went back and I read it a few days later. I'm like, man, all I did was bitch about the refs the entire time. So that was my goal. So I'm just, as, as, from writer to writer, I'm just saying avoid that because it makes for a better read. Yeah, well, we'll
2: see. I, You know me, though. I don't ever fall into that uh, whole uh, officiating thing, except for Aiden getting those fouls early.
1: So <laughs> Yeah, um, that's also, what was like, interesting. Like, we were doing the pod, and all of a sudden, like, you were calling bullshit fouls. I'm like, Matthew Paul Lissy? Is that you? They were. Because <laughs> they, <were. laughs> they, they were. You know they're bullshit when Matthew calls them. Um, as, I, as I look at game four, you know, I'm going to say I'm going to mirror a lot of what I thought going into game three. And how important that first half is going to be. I really think that it's going to be a, an interesting start for this team and how they're going to make those adjustments and execute those adjustments. And I think the most important thing is how they close quarters. Because after seeing what they did in, in the second quarter, where they gave a, up a 2-0 run, and they, or I'm sorry, ten o 10-0 run, and then in the end of the third quarter, they gave up a 16-0 run. That's 26-0 runs to end quarters. That's got to be better. That's got to be better. And as long as the Suns are doing that, they're in the game. And then you the, the goal of this game in game four should be get to crunch time and be up five or down five. Now, if you're blowing them out, obviously, that's like the creme de la creme best-case scenario. But you have to be within five points. you got to give Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton clutch minute opportunities because – on the other side of the ball, they can't execute in those clutch minutes nearly as well as Phoenix. If you are in clutch minutes and Giannis has to go to the line, that's when those free throws really get difficult for a big guy. That's where he can have he can get in his own mind and he might miss a few of them. That's where you can use that strategy against him. It doesn't do you any good to hack in Giannis when you're, up, when you're down 14 and he's trying to pad a lead. Hack him when you're up three and see how he performs. And... It would be nice for the Suns to blow them out, but I'm I'm expecting a close game. We haven't really seen a close game in this finals yet. And I really feel like now that these teams have felt each other out for three games, the adjustments are going to be happening on both sides. They can call out each other's plays defensively. You're going to see a lot of uh, tight possessions and it's going to come down to execution. And typically when that happens, you start to see closer games. And again, if that's the case, I feel like the Suns win this because they have the advantage in Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, who knows? Just for Matthew, Cam Johnson is going to hit a big three with like a minute left to clinch this one. So uh, Suns will go up 3-1. That's what I'm thinking, bruh.
2: Yeah, I like that. And I love, yeah, have Giannis try to to do stuff, try to make things happen with uh, the Suns up because that's when he has a hard time performing. So if you can do that, man, then – I just got a chance.
1: There you go. Sense. Yeah, you yeah. and me both, man. NBA Finals, Game awesome. 4 happening tomorrow, 6 p.m. Uh, local time in Arizona. And, you know, Joe from Charlotte, you represent all Suns fans going to Milwaukee there. That's fantastic. This is a reminder to everybody who is listening to, please subscribe to the podcast on Twitter at Jam you can follow the twitter or you can follow the show on youtube suns jam session podcast you can follow me on twitter i'm at darth voida you can follow matthew on twitter at matthew Blissy. and it's also a reminder if you want some really cool suns gear go to shopjustsports.com pick out your suns gear and then put in the promo code suns jam and you get 15% off and i'll tell you i ordered some stuff the other day i got it like 2 days later So Just Sports will take care of you. But uh, on that note, everybody will be coming to you live on YouTube directly following Game 4 tomorrow night. Until then, everybody take care. Try not to stress out too much.
2: Yes. Everyone go home and love your family.
1: Take care, everybody.
0: Say goodbye